This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and I'm so delighted to tell you about our show today. Mindfulness has never been more important than it is right now. And so I'm so delighted to have mindfulness teacher and expert, Dr. Lucinda Sykes on the program. Also coming up later on in the show, we have the uber-talented singer-songwriter, musician Ezra Jordan singing an incredible song from his latest EP, 117. You don't want to miss it. That song is breathtakingly beautiful. All of this coming up and more, but first, I'm so delighted to welcome Dr. Lucinda Sykes to the program. Dr. Sykes is a Canadian physician and mindfulness teacher, and since 1997, she has directed the Meditation for Health Clinic in Toronto, teaching medical programs of mindfulness to more than 6,000 patients referred by their doctor or psychiatrist for help with the wide range of problems worsened by chronic stress. Lucinda has addressed both public and professional audiences all across Canada. And she is also currently active as a board member of the Canadian Neurovascular Health Society. Since 2018, Lucinda has developed further resources for the emotional well-being of women aged 50 and over. Her special interest group, Mindful Women 50 Plus, is active at the clinic with special training and courses. Recently, this has developed into a fantastic online presence, which is called, and you can find this presence at www.mindfulwomen.com joyfulafter50.com. What a lovely title. Lucinda, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Yes. You know, I still smile when I say the name. (laughs) (laughs) It it puts a smile on your face. What a lovely way to, uh, I I definitely encourage people to go to joyfulafter50.com. Isn't that wonderful? Let's start, Lucinda, for those who don't know, because so many definitions sort of get bandied around. What is your best definition of mindfulness as you see it? Well, for years now, I've simply given the definition that was given to me at the Center for Mindfulness down at the University of Massachusetts, where in a way, this Western mindfulness really began. And uh, the definition I was given is four points, bulleted points, if that organizes it for you. First point is the mindfulness means that you're paying attention. And secondly, you're doing it on purpose. So you're intending to pay attention right now. And thirdly, what you're paying attention to is your experience happening in this moment, your present moment experience. And fourthly, critically, you're doing so with an attitude of non-judging. You're not trying to make things be different, not trying to change things. And that's mindfulness. I love that. That's lovely. What are some common misunderstandings and misconceptions about mindfulness? Oh, 
That's that's a big topic. And, you know, it's getting bigger, Judy, because when I first started teaching this back in 97, people really didn't know much about mindfulness. So in a way, my job was easier. I could just show them as I had been trained to do. But now the decades have gone by and people often come with assumptions and their assumptions from, you know, maybe media or marketing or goodness knows, but they come with assumptions about mindfulness and we have to be careful that they don't get held up. Like one common assumption, uh, for example, is the assumption that mindfulness is a way of making things be different. I'm going to find out how to get relaxed or I'm going to find out how to be more compassionate or more forgiving. And so we have an agenda for mindfulness. And of course, that violates the fourth point that I offered you, this idea of non-judging, not trying to make things be a certain way. And if you're practicing mindfulness with the intention to become more forgiving or compassionate, oddly, you hold yourself back because you bring in the judging. So that's a very common misunderstanding. And thank you for allowing me to highlight that for people. Uh, because you see, when the judging comes in, you're no longer being mindful. Mm-hmm. Once that's, you're that's right. seeking a goal, then the mindfulness leaves. And uh, it's a, a paradox, but an unfortunately common paradox, that when we're trying to be good at mindfulness, oddly, we're no longer mindful. Mm-hmm. I always think of the word witnessing, Lucinda, and tell me yes. if I'm correct in assuming that, that just we're witnessing, we're not judging. So we're not praising, we're not criticizing, we're just experiencing it as a witness would. Yes. Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. Yes. Very cool. So you're not ascribing anything to it, you're not getting attached to it, and you're just experiencing it. And I would think when you're in a mindful state, and you're being a witness, you just naturally feel calmer. Yes. And if I could offer, you know, a kind of limitation to the witness, but you see what you think of it. Witnessing might cause us to think about the witness. There's a little bit of a detachment. I am witnessing something other than myself. But of course, as you well know, when we're practicing mindfulness, a lot of what the witnessing is, is of the witness (laughs) just a little trick of the mind (laughs) (laughs) that's very that's very funny there there's a science of optimism what are the health benefits to just be more optimistic and how does that all relate to mindfulness well, that final question, that's, a, that's such an interesting one. The, the fact, it seems, that when people practice mindfulness over a long time, even many years, that their set point of optimism and happiness tends to lift, even though while we're practicing mindfulness, we're not trying to make ourselves be happy or not trying to influence our mood. But over time, and we're talking you know, duration, months and years, the set point does seem to lift. Now, that's important for those of us who are interested in optimism, uh, because we do know, and you're alluding to it there, that people who are optimistic tend to live longer and have fewer health problems. It has a biological effect. And it's so interesting that mindfulness seems to assist us with this. And again, however, not using mindfulness to make ourselves be optimistic. It's a natural outcome of, of it without it needing to be a goal. That's lovely. Oh, so this just sounds so wonderful. You also have, Lucinda, 
uh, a great interest in sleep. And you say, and, and this I found fascinating when I read this, that you say there's a correlation between sleep and optimism for cognitive health. Can you explain? It's true that people who are optimistic tend to have healthier brains and cognitive health as the years go by. Very sobering research, in fact, the people who are pessimistic, always doom and gloom, they seem to suffer more cognitive decline. <laughs> and similarly, along the same vein, uh, in response to your question, uh, when we have a lot of sleep troubles, those two seem to have an effect on our cognitive health. And so there's some decline in cognitive health in people who are not getting the sleep that they, their natures would like. And, how can mindful, mindfulness then help you get a better night's sleep? Can oh. mindfulness improve your sleep so that you do have better cognitive health? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, when I first started teaching this in my training, we'd never heard a mention about mindfulness being good for sleep. So I was really dumbfounded when I started teaching the program. Again and again, my patients were saying that really helped me sleep, Lucinda. Thank you. And I hadn't realized. But sure enough, it's true. When people take up regular mindfulness, even though they're not doing so with the agenda of sleep improvement, nonetheless, their sleep does tend to improve. That's so cool. Have you ever studied with John Kabat-Zinn? Oh, yes. That's how I started with, uh, oh, yes. I was very fortunate to, to learn of this early on there. And uh, I went down many times to uh, trainings with John and his colleagues at the uh, Center for Mindfulness. And I was very fortunate because his teaching is strong and true to the tradition. I sit now with Buddhist teachers from uh, Eastern lineages, and it's, it's the same you know, the essence. There's no dogma, of course, to MBSR, but there is the, the sincerity of practice, most definitely. And he wrote that beautiful book, Full Catastrophe, Living Wisdom of Your Body and Mind to Face Stress, Pain and Illness, which is like a Bible for your program. Yes. And uh, can you describe for our listeners what is so impactful about Full Catastrophe Living, written by John Kabat-Zinn. Yes, I'm so glad you're highlighting that because listeners might be moved to you know, pick up a copy or go online and learn more about John's work. There are videos and so on too. Um, well, uh, uh, John's book came out in the early 90s. I believe it's 91 was the uh, uh, publication date on it. There's been a couple of editions since then. And uh, it's really based on his work, his groundbreaking work with the uh, pain clinic at the Worcester, uh, Massachusetts uh, Hospital, where uh, MBSR first uh, first started. Uh, he was teaching in the basement with his colleagues, uh, teaching uh, patients who were referred by other clinicians who had started to see that John was getting results. So more and more people came to the clinic. And of course, he did the, the research that um, became the, uh, the foundation. Now, so many researchers, so many countries continuing to investigate mindfulness as a factor in health and other conditions. John did it first in 91. And uh, the history of it is there in the book. But it is a clinical book, as you're pointing out rightly. Uh, programs of MBSR often use it as a kind of textbook. Isn't that wonderful? I want to just tell our listeners when we keep saying MBSR, what we are referring to, of course, is I think the mindfulness-based 
stress reduction program. Am I right? Okay. Absolutely. Correct. That's great. Yes. And you, you have a nine week program. What is involved in that nine? Can you give us sort of a brief outline of what people will experience in that nine week program and what's in, involved in just signing up for it and getting, getting into it? Well, it's been some years now with COVID since I've actually taught the group, in fact, but uh, I did many of them through the years. Uh, the uh, protocol uh, is is laid out uh, as pretty much as still detailed in the book, Full Catastrophe Living. We begin now uh, with emphasis on body awareness. People get surprised by that, but I suspect that's one of the uh, great strengths of the program. We work with body awareness, and then we move into sitting meditation and including mindful movement, mindful yoga. But as well, very characteristic of MBSR is we have a, a set uh, um, curriculum, in fact, uh, focusing on stress and how mindfulness can be brought to bear on the on the problem. You know, there's a wonderful, and I think you might use this in your program because I've taken a similar program. I'm also a meditation teacher. It's that wonderful John Cabot Zinn uh, CD set uh, with the lovely body scan and the meditation. And I often recommend this to people. And yes, you know, yes. <laughs> That's the program I'm explaining. Oh, That's oh, it. oh I love Absolutely. it. That's my yes. favorite. That beautiful lemon. Scan. Oh, that, that body scan's great, but I have to let you in on a little secret. I. <laughs> I teach it, but I often, when I do it myself, fall asleep after 11 minutes, which you're not supposed yes. to do. But I find it so relaxing when he does that oh, yeah. wonderful 40-minute body scan. I don't make it past the knees. Absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, the clinic, we have a body scan that I did specifically to help people sleep for exactly that reason, because I knew, just like you're finding there yourself, it's a very natural sleep inducer. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. I, I highly recommend that. We'll put that in our show notes and in our, we'll let people know about, about how great that is. You also, um, Dr. Sykes, studied and taught at the C.J. Jung Institute in Zurich, yes, receiving yes. the Institute's certification in the theory of analytical psychology. Can you just tell us briefly how that helped you inform your work? Oh, well, I, I, I was studying Jung uh, years before I, I was studying uh, MBSR, although I had started to practice mindfulness about the same time I took up the study of Jung. Um, I, I worked uh, as a psychotherapist in the Jungian tradition, or more correctly, the analytical psychology tradition. And uh, then when I discovered uh, MBSR, I was presenting at a... Uh, a conference here in Toronto, and my co-presenter screened a documentary with John Kabat-Zinn, and I was instantly transfixed by the possibility of bringing mindfulness into medicine. So I ultimately gave up my practice of Jungian psychotherapy and uh, moved into uh, into uh, teaching mindfulness. And so, in a way, I, I'd say that Jung, uh, Jungian psychology, prepared me for. Uh, mindfulness. They uh, marry very well, at least in my experience. That's so fantastic. I also was fascinated to read, um, Lucinda, that you're a board member of the Canadian Neurovascular Health Society, a registered nonprofit organization in support of people living with MS and related conditions. And you recently ran a course in support of people living with multiple sclerosis. Can you tell us about the mindfulness that you taught daily at the CNHS online retreat? 
there's so much research now showing how mindfulness can contribute to the well-being of people with uh, multiple sclerosis. It's quite inspiring, in fact. I have a very good friend with MS, and I actually let them know about this wonderful, oh. uh, uh, wonderful program that you're running, and and gave them all the information. So wonderful that inspires me further. You also have a special interest in mindfulness at the spa, and in past years, meditation for health has held um, <laughs> Toronto yes. spa events at the Ritz Carlton Spa, Elmwood Spa, and Verite three great places. And as COVID restrictions lift, you're planning a one-day spa event for women dealing with life-changing illness, hopefully in October. And your colleague will be Pam Hammond, RMT, a staff member at Princess Margaret Hospital. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Fantastic. Thank you for asking, Judy. Our day is going to be... um... My Body, My Friend will be the name of the day. And we're going to spend a day at the spa receiving massage, water treatments, and practicing mindfulness, having a lunch together, and uh, and so on. I don't want to give it all away. But uh, yes, my colleague in this is uh, Pam Hammond, who has been on staff at Princess Margaret Hospital for over 15 years. And she's been practicing mindfulness a long time, too. And, uh, and myself. I have a great interest in the spa and mindfulness uh, through the years, uh, some evidence of that. Uh, But this is a day for women who are living with life-changing illness, a a day for those living with chronic illness, uh, uh, disability, or maybe life-threatening illness. Mm -hmm. We want to bring people together, uh, women, uh, in the uh, second half of life, you can decide if you're in that group, uh, who are feeling a a little bit ill at ease with the body. And we're going to go to the spa and reestablish our friendship with the body, so to speak. How nicely put. What a wonderful gift that you're uh, giving to women. I am looking uh, forward to this. This is fantastic. Tell us briefly about the Joyful After 50 program. We referred to it off the top to support women's happiness and well-being in the second half of life. Just this word, this phrase, Joyful After 50. I know our audience uh, can really relate to this and what a gorgeous phrase it is. What does it mean exactly? Well, it's uh, it's an off um, offshoot, so to speak, of the Meditation for Health program. As I say, I've been teaching it now, I don't know, 24 or five years, something like this. And uh, recently, I've been this, become especially interested in uh, women over 50. And now that COVID has uh, you know, put our clinic on pause, we can no longer hold groups. I've been doing some online work with uh, the ladies who were in my Mindful Women 50 Plus group. So we had this special interest group at the clinic. And so uh, I just engaged them in some uh, online work. We did a challenge. We had an online challenge and then we did a couple of courses and so on. So this is the Joyful After 50 group. We have a little website for it now, but the public is welcome to sign up for the the emails. Uh, I did a series of emails on uh, mind-body, and that's where your uh, curiosity about optimism comes in. Uh, A number of those emails, Judy, are about the topic, the research showing that optimism is an active health factor, and optimistic women do indeed live longer. So I've got some of that in those uh, emails, if people would like would like that. That's wonderful. So that's, that's wonderful. a joyful after 50. <laughs> that, yes. That's so wonderful. 
So here's the big question of the hour. And I'm sure you've thought about this, but here's the question we want to know, especially from you, is what is bliss for Dr. Lucinda Sykes? Oh, gosh. You know, I knew this question might be coming up and I was reflecting and it's a very interesting question. It prompted so much reflection and it's a complicated question, Judy, because if you think about it, when you pose the question for yourself, you change the moment. Hmm. You automatically direct your attention now to your conceptualizing mind and it's the concept of the future. And it distracts you in a way from right here, right now. So there's the possibility, paradoxically, that you miss the moment of bliss here. Mm -hmm. And the mind is in the future. Mm -hmm. And um, for example, for just half a moment here, let's just tune into the possibility of bliss in this moment. Now, just for a moment, I'm going to just close my eyes for a moment and just... And as soon as you close your eyes, you have a sense of being here Mm -hmm. and the breath is flowing freely and the possibility that this is a beautiful moment. That's all you need. That's all you need. You know, it's so interesting that you're saying this, Lucinda, because I'm going to let you in on a secret that I don't think I've ever really shared with our listeners. Every every time I do this show and we've done over 100 programs, so, you know, hundreds of interviews. I honestly have a moment in each show where I feel very emotional. I get very teary and I feel like I'm in my bliss and it's doing exactly what you're saying. Just this moment right now. I have felt it throughout this half hour with you, not even necessarily this moment, many different moments, Yes, just a lovely feeling. Yes. And I noted it and I said, I think this is mindfulness right now. Beautiful. Yes. Yes. I've been experiencing some of that too, Judy. Yes. <laughs> Thank you Such so much. That's a mystery, much. isn't it? You know, <laughs> we talk about mindful relationship. It's a great mystery. Thank you. So lovely. I just saw that in action. That was fantastic. <laughs> what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? It's Dr. Lucinda Sykes, and I'm going to spell that for everyone. That's S-Y-K-E-S. What would be the best way for people to get in touch with you to follow you? Well, the clinic is at our website, um, meditationforhealth.com. And there's contact information there to uh, our wonderful coordinator. And uh, if you need to get hold of me directly, um, you could get me through hello at lucindasykesmd.com. That's so wonderful. Will you come back again? Because I have a feeling this conversation is not over and we'd love to have you back on the program another time as well. That's a wonderful idea. Thank you for this. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Lucinda Sykes, for being on the show today. We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Finding Your Bliss and our next guest, singer and musician, Ezra Jordan. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. 
Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're joined now by the very soulful and uber-talented singer and musician, Ezra Jordan. Ezra Jordan is an independent singer-songwriter from Toronto, Ontario. And his music really draws inspiration from contemporary pop, R&B, and soul. And he approaches songwriting with a focus on piano. Since his journey as an artist began, he has amassed over 250,000 views on YouTube, 5.5 million streams on Spotify, and he has charted on the radio in the U.S. He is doing incredibly well. Over the years, Ezra Sound has transformed into a more real, raw, and emotional sound that will allow his fans to dive deep into his psyche and into his authentic self. His upcoming EP 117 represents a new Ezra Jordan that no one has ever seen or heard before. We are so excited to hear it now. Ezra, welcome to Finding Your Bless. Hi, thanks for having me. First of all, and I said this in the green room, congratulations on your latest song, Dollarama, which we will be hearing soon on the program. It's spectacular. And I can't wait to share it with our listeners coming up in the hour. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm uh I'm really excited that it's out <laughs> finally. It must be a good feeling, like relief, right? It's oh, there for time. the world to enjoy and uh I can't listen to it without crying, so I can't wait to share it with our listeners very soon. Ezra, you're from a musical family. I actually know your parents. Your parents are Amy Skye and Mark Jordan. Did you have a sense when you were a little kid that music was going to be a fundamental part of your life? Yeah, definitely. Um always, I mean, I started taking piano lessons at uh, the age of four and I never really looked back. I wasn't sure in what capacity that would be. Like I I didn't always know I was going to be a singer songwriter, but I knew basically from the second I stepped foot in my kindergarten class that uh, I was going to be doing music and and not a doctor or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) You entertain the troops, I'll bet. Anything musical, you you were the one that they looked to, I'm sure. Well, not not at first at school, but... uh, now, once I grew up a little bit towards the end of my school career, I, I sort of became that guy, I think. That's so that's so good to know that, isn't it? It's so nice when that resonates with you deeply and you're not wondering, what am I going to be or do or what's my purpose or my why? You just know it. And it, that must be quite a wonderful feeling to have. Definitely. I don't know. I remember graduating from high school and, and taking a year off and like I knew I wanted to do music, but I just wasn't sure what the next step in pursuing that was. And I remember thinking to my friends that are picking universities and programs and majors, I was like, how do they know? I mean, I, I'm lucky that I know I've known forever, but like, how do you make that decision? So it's hard at that age for sure. I was lucky. Absolutely. So you, you've just done unbelievably well, as I mentioned, you've reached over 5.5 million streams on Spotify. You've already done two tours as a solo artist, but you didn't always want to be a songwriter. You wanted to be a piano player or be more involved in film scoring or producing. What made you change your trajectory? So I think that um, maybe subconsciously, I, I knew that I would end up writing songs, but I definitely 
couldn't have told you that until uh, I was 18 and I suffered this leg injury and um, it was a really horrific thing. And uh, it was a, a water skiing accident and just a fluky thing. And um, without going into too much detail, I was basically laid up for about 18 months and I, I nearly I had to be airlifted back to the hospital from uh, the cottage. And it was it was pretty grim for a while there. And I, I'm, I was really lucky that the uh, medical team did as well as they did because I'm, I'm okay now. But during that time, I couldn't really sit at the piano because my leg had all this stuff sticking out of it and it had to be in a certain position. So during that time, I couldn't play piano and uh, I had to find some other way to have a musical outlet. And that's when I turned to singing and songwriting. That's so incredible. We're very happy that you chose that <laughs> that course because we're all benefiting from it. After your recovery, you toured as a keyboardist and backup singer with Juno-nominated Juno artist Scott Hellman, and then you graduated from the Musicians Institute in Los Angeles. Can you tell us about that period? Well, working with Scott was amazing. He's, he's such an awesome guy and a brilliant songwriter. And I, the other members of his band at the time, uh, Callum Maudsley, Julian Sahoyas, and uh, Taylor, Taylor, the bassist actually was the guy who got me the job, but I, it was just great to meet them. And I continued to work with them. Uh, Callum even played on my most recent EP. So, um, just working with those guys was amazing. And Ron Lopata was, uh, he's, I believe senior VP at, of A&R at Warner right now. He's definitely at Warner and he was in that band Jack soul and just getting like a veteran keyboard player band leader, all around musical guy like him to sort of show me the ropes as a young guy. And for all of us was, was really awesome. And then um, I felt like I got a lot out of that experience, but in being his band member, I realized that I wanted to be the guy on center stage uh, myself at one point. So that's when I departed and went off to the Musicians Institute, where um, I basically was in in a new city, in a new country where I didn't know many people. And uh, that resulted in me kind of just holding up in my room and writing as many songs as I could while I was there. And I, I think it was like a big period of growth for me as a wow. writer, certainly. That's so awesome. In 2017, you released your first singles, Drag Me Down, and I Only Got Eyes for Her. And that song, I Only Got Eyes for Her in particular, got you up to 1 million plays on Spotify. What was that like for you, just even knowing that a million people just listened to and enjoyed your song? Like, that must have been awesome. Uh, it's the best feeling in the world. I mean, all you want as an artist is to make something that you like and, and show it with people and have them... Um, feel hopefully the same way that you do about it. And a million is like a crazy number to even imagine. I, what does a million people look like? I can't even picture <laughs> that. So uh, especially at that time where I was really just starting out and I hadn't had a lot of experience even playing in front of people, playing my own music in front of people. Anyway, it was it was crazy to think that that many people were listening to it and continuing to get something out of it. So that, that's really just all, all I strive for is to be able to show my art and make an impact on people. So awesome. It's been written that, and I quote, your musical style blends bluesy synths with rhythmic keyboard riffs, all set against an ambient R&B landscape. The diversity of genres woven into your music speaks to your vast array of musical influences. What are and have been your greatest musical influences? Well, like you mentioned earlier, I was really lucky to grow up in a household of musicians. I mean, my grandfather was a singer, my my dad, my mom are both singer-songwriters that have been in the industry forever. My sister, even her husband. <laughs> uh, so I was always around music and not just around it, like playing in the house, but around the discussion of it and the analysis of it. So my dad loved Charlie Parker and Dave Brubeck and all kinds of oldie jazz standards, things like that. He always played that for us in the car. And at the time when I was eight, I didn't really get it. But I realize now as I've evolved as a musician, it sort of seeps into the way that I play. And my mom was more the type to um, 
play what's on the radio and like analyze it, it's like, why is that a great hook? Or what about that chorus is so satisfying? So even as a kid, I was sort of inundated with that kind of um, discussion and just everything my parents would play from blues to jazz to adult contemporary to classical. Just I was lucky to be sort of steeped in it from a young age. That is so cool. What a great house to grow up in. I can only imagine like, because a house full of music is just, it's everything, right? So it's so fabulous. You've described your current music as being an alternative, sort of your your pop singer, writer. You have an R&B influence, similar in style to John Mayer, J.P. Sachs or Lennon Stella. Can you tell me more about your style? And I know it has evolved. It certainly has. I think, um, especially with this most recent EP, um, it was born out of the pandemic. And I think everyone can probably relate to this in some way, but during the depths of like lockdown during 2020, it seemed like a pretty bleak time to be existing. And I, during that time, had a lot of time to think um, about what I really wanted to be as an artist. And a lot of my previous music is not that I don't love it, but it didn't come from a place of, of authenticity as much as my current stuff. I, I was, I felt like I was sort of trying to ride the line in terms of what the music I really loved and I wanted to make and what was most accessible or trendy or I don't know. I was just sort of sh- trying to shoehorn my own stuff into a pop mold, if that makes sense. Yes. And so many things fell into place with this most recent release that uh, I had the opportunity to just, sit with myself and and my brother-in-law who was also my producer uh, at the studio at our house and just make exactly what I wanted to make. So um yeah that that was the process for for this album and I think that it shows when you hear it cuz it it really feels like my most important stuff to date. That's so fantastic. I have a relative who listens to this show every Saturday, the last 100 episodes for two years, and who always asks me to ask our musical guests and all of our guests for that matter, how they did it, how they do what they do. And I know you, Ezra, write mainly on guitar and piano, but your songs often start with stray notes on your phone where you jot down ideas, concepts, and titles to keep the inspiration flowing. Can you tell us more about your writing process? Because I think it's so fascinating. This is something uh, that I speak about with my uh, parents a lot because obviously, you know, they they write too and everyone has their own process. But I find for me, um, the best songs come from when I, it's hard to explain, but it's it's a feeling. It's like almost like a twinkle. And um, whether it's a situation I'm in just in my day-to-day life or a thought that occurs to me or something that happens, I I get that feeling. It's almost, it's like I can almost see it in my peripheral vision in a way. And uh, I just try and record that in some way, whether that's jotting down um, a note about what that feels like, or if it's a melody or something, I'll record it into my voice note. But I try and keep some record of it so that when I get into a place, the studio or whatever, where I can sit down and ruminate on it and and write, uh, I try and bring myself back to that feeling and, and sort of encapsulate that in song. And I find that sometimes like it'll be three or four of those moments over the course of a few weeks. And then they all somehow come together into one song. And I don't realize at the time that those four separate instances were related, but they all sort of weave together. Um, and uh, yeah, usually it's sort of a dynamic process where I might start with a concept. I might start with a melody. I might start with a a drum beat, something, but um, it just sort of builds off of each other. And then somehow magically becomes one song. I, I couldn't even tell you how it happens sometimes, but it just does. That's so fantastic. I love that. Do you have any songwriting advice for aspiring musicians of any age? Definitely. Um, 
one of the things that I, I find is is hardest to learn and hardest to accept, even if you sort of know it, actually doing it can be even harder. It's that you have to write a lot of songs and a lot of them are going to be bad. I mean, I hope and pray that no one hears the stuff I wrote before I released any of my music. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm sure it's, I'm probably harder on myself than other people would be, but you just have to write a bunch of bad songs to get to the good stuff. It's like you're digging, digging for gold, right? And some of it's going to be dirt and some of it's going to be gold. So you just have to write a lot of songs. And even when you get to the point where you can consistently write stuff that you're proud of, it's not always going to be like that. I wrote a song three weeks ago that I just, I'm like, after I'm done, I'm like, how did I, it's so bad. <laughs> but, but then there's oh, always goodness. another good one around the corner. So it's just, it's a numbers game. You got to keep writing. That's so great. What great, great advice. Well, I'd like to hear more about your new single Dollaram and how it all came to be. And because it's, it's so deep. There's a line in it about Icarus that I just went, oh, it just, it just really hit me in my heart. Can you tell us about how that song, where, where, where it all came from? Well, uh, I wrote it during the pandemic and sort of during lockdown. And uh, like most people, I'm sure uh, I had different plans than what uh, life had in store for me that year. I was planning on uh, moving to Los Angeles at the beginning of 2020. And I just moved home for a couple months. My lease was up. I'm like, I'll save a couple months of rent. Then I'll jump to Los Angeles. And that was like January and February that I was going to do that. And then March happens and things start shutting down. And suddenly I lived at home for the next 10 months. And uh, <laughs> as an adult moving back to my parents' house, I mean, I love my parents, but after a while it, it wore on me and I sort of, um, and you know, it's not like the, my job was gone, my house was gone and there was just, it was, it was a bleak time. And it made me reevaluate my life and my priorities and, and where I wanted to be and who I wanted to be. And uh, I just sort of, I felt really lonely. And it, I wrote that song about feeling like uh, I don't belong where I am at the moment and um, sort of the sadness that surrounds that. Well, it's just, um, it's so heartbreakingly beautiful. That's all I'm going to say. Let's have a listen to Dollarama by Ezra Jordan. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Wow. Oh, my God. Ezra, that song is so beautiful. Congratulations. Oh, my God. Icarus with Dollarama Wings. At that line, I don't know. It's so beautiful. There's also a music video that I just watched this morning. It's a gorgeous music video of this song. And I found it so beautiful and compelling and kind of like a short film. Can you just tell us briefly about the creation of the music video? It's also so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited about this music video process. Um, it's, it is kind of like a short film because it is part of a short film. So the EP, Dollarama is the first single off of the 117 EP and there's more coming and there's a four-part music video. So this is part one of four. And uh, at the end, they all kind of go together and become more than the sum of their parts. And then you can watch it front to back while listening to the EP front to back and it all sort of flows into one uh, one part to the next. 
I have the chills. I have the shivers. <laughs> I just, I, I love it. I encourage people to go check this out on YouTube and to certainly to buy uh, this beautiful song, uh, this beautiful, beautiful song, Dollarama. I also know you have some very cool stuff coming up this fall in Toronto and in LA. Can you give us a sort of sneak peek of what's coming up that audiences can look forward to? Well, we're still hammering out the details, but definitely once the EP, uh, it's being sort of gradually released single by single, but it's going to be out this fall. And I'm going to be playing uh, shows for the release of it in both Toronto and Los Angeles. And um, basically trying to get as much live music in as possible because Lord knows it's been long enough since we've been able to do that. I'm just excited to get back on stage. So once it's all out, um, it's four, four songs and a little special half song at the end uh, in total. And once once it's all released in the fall, I'm going to be playing live here in Toronto and Los Angeles. I can't wait. Well, I'm going to be there. And my daughter, who is a singer and a, a musical theater performer, she will be there too. And I have to ask you, I think I might know the answer to this in part, but what is bliss for Ezra Jordan? To me, my favorite thing in the world is uh, creating music that I'm proud of and sharing it with people. So um, I mean, no big surprise there. That's what I'm trying to dedicate my life to. But uh, I mean, that's how I felt when I wrote this EP because it it felt like the truest expression of my sort of musical um, identity as I've I've gotten to thus far. It's a it's a long journey, but uh, yeah, getting to share that with people gradually as I'm I'm getting to do when the as the EP unfolds is like my greatest joy in life. That's so fantastic. Thank you. I, I, so I, I want to say I'm proud of you. I'm not, I'm not related to you, but I, I don't know. It's just, it's just really wonderful. What is the best way, Ezra, for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? Um, you can find me all over your, uh, the socials that you're used to. Instagram, I'm just Ezra Jordan. Uh, I'm on TikTok. I have a website, EzraJordan.com. And you can find me on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, or any streaming platform under my name, Ezra Jordan. You're just a beautiful artist, and I'm so grateful that you're on the show today. Thank you so much for being here, Ezra. Thank you. That's so kind. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Of course. We're going to go on a short commercial break, more with Finding Your Bliss, with some questions from our listeners when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. As you know, I'm a life coach and earlier in the week, we asked you on Instagram if you had any coaching questions or questions about meditation. And I want to thank you all uh, to everyone who sent us questions. And today, the question we will be answering is from Haley. And she wrote, I really want to meditate, but I have a hard time sitting still. What can I do? 
And thank you again, Haley, for writing in. And here is our answer for you. And I think for a lot of people who um, have the exact same situation as you do. It's very common, by the way, to have a hard time at the beginning when you're meditating. And it is very hard to sit still and simmer down. In fact, the first five to 10 minutes is really sort of like skimming off the fat, as I like to call it, and becoming still. And it's okay if it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes just recognizing and acknowledging that fact alone can really help you overcome your difficulty with meditating. So some of the things that you can do are you can meditate in motion. You can do a walking meditation. That's a wonderful way to be in present moment awareness and mindful without actually sitting still. And another great way to establish yourself and to calm down during meditation is just to really do it, is to establish a daily meditation practice, which can really help you gain tremendous benefits to your overall well-being and to your confidence. And the best way to get better is just to do it. And I suggest doing it every day, making it part of your daily practice, and just finding a way to meditate for five to 10 minutes a day, sitting down, reclining, lying down on a mat or on your bed, It could be walking, it could be cross-legged. Try it in different ways, whatever works for you. And the more you do it, the better you'll be at it and the more confident you'll become. We encourage you to keep the questions coming and we will answer them on the air. And all you have to do is write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com or you can DM me on Instagram at the Bliss Minute. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. And if you're an author, artist, writer, or anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. We would love you to write for our magazine or be on the show. And you can write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. In Bliss News, we wanted to let you know that our Bliss newsletter is really looking fantastic and underway. All you have to do to subscribe to it is visit the link in my bio at the Bliss Minute on Instagram or go to findingyourbliss.com, scroll down and you'll see it right there. Also, I wanted to mention that back to school is really a great time for renewal and reimagining whether you or someone you know are going back to elementary school, high school, university, or if you're someone who's taking a course or a workshop to better your skills. I'm actually going back to school to get a higher level of certification in my life coaching. And so I want to tell you that I'm offering a discount on my coaching services for the next three months. And if you'd like to hear more about that, just go to findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. And I would love Uh, for you to reach out to me and uh, maybe we could do some work together. And also in the spirit of bliss and going back to school, I think a lovely idea is to order a bliss bracelet for a teacher, a parent or a child or or adult child who's going back to school just to give them that wonderful confidence. That bliss bracelet is just a reminder to stay connected to your passion and your purpose as we begin this new school year. And it's got all kinds of wonderful little mini coaching tools that will help you along the way. And to order your bliss bracelet, all you have to do is go to findingyourbliss.com slash shop. 
I'd like to thank my guests, Dr. Lucinda Sykes and musician, singer extraordinaire Ezra Jordan for being on the show today. Also, thank you to Meg Ruffman, producer Siobhan Kylie, senior editor Haley Allegia, and intern Lauren Kaminsky. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center, and everyone here at Zoomer. This show has been recorded by Squadcast. We're going to close out the show today with a short meditation, and this one is called the Breath Awareness Meditation. Sit back comfortably and gently close your eyes. Take a few moments to just arrive into the room and notice whatever sounds or physical sensations, thoughts, or feelings you might be having right now without trying to do anything about it. Just continue like this for a moment or so, just letting yourself settle down. And now let's bring our attention to the breath. Notice the breath as it moves in and out of the body, just inhaling in through the nose and exhaling out through the nose or mouth. And just notice how the breath moves in and out effortlessly. Don't try to control it or manipulate it in any way. Just notice that you are breathing, the feeling of the air moving in and out of the nose and letting it go. And if your mind wanders, that's okay. That's all part of meditation. Just notice it and come back to the breath. Just easily bring your attention back to the breath, noticing how all of your experiences, thoughts, emotions, sounds, and scents just come in effortlessly like the breath. When we simmer down and settle the mind, you get more and more able to let things go. Just keep breathing in, breathing out letting go and letting be. For everyone here, I'm Judy Lee Brack, reminding you to breathe and take some time every day for mindfulness and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.